Song of Solomon chapter 7, we'll start in verse 10. We're going to read through verse 13. We're going to talk about the proper reaction to love. I am my beloved's and his desires toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. Now this is not a part of the message, but I did share with the Sunday school class this morning one of my great concerns as a pastor, and it is this, that many times we will just come to church. It's what I've done all my life. I would feel strange if I weren't in church on a Sunday. And so it is my habit, and out of my habit, I'm going to show up for church, and it's just church, right? Folks, we've come to worship God. Amen. God is here this morning. He's here every time we meet, and we need to worship Him this morning. And I just pray that the message is not the preacher preaching, okay? That the message is God speaking. Let's let Him speak to our hearts this morning. He has a great love for us. And in fact, in verses 1 through 9 of this seventh chapter of Song of Solomon, we have a description of the bride's beauty by her bridegroom. Now, chapter 7 is not just a repetition of what he said in chapter 4. In chapter 4, he praises her beauty upon their espousal. In chapter 7, he's giving her praise because she has just returned from what I call, in my notes anyway, a bypath. What do you mean a bypath? Well, look back to chapter 6, verse 13. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamite? as it were the company of two armies. Remember, she went out through the city. She went out looking for her shepherd husband, and she's gotten out by the wayside, and she's come back home, and now he praises her. You know what that shows us? That shows us the constancy of Christ's love. Child of God, regardless of how far away from God you get, he's standing there. Arms open. He's willing to receive you back. He's willing for you to come back to Him. And so this is a beautiful picture. Even though the Shulamite woman has gone away, her bridegroom is ready to receive her back. In verse 1, he calls her prince's daughter. You look at that. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. The joints of thy thighs like jewels, the work of thy hands of a cunning workman. Do you realize that as Children of God as believers, that we're children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are royalty, if you will, and we bear the image of the King of Kings. A child bears the image of their father, of their parents. And if God's your father, folks, we're supposed to bear the image of God in our daily living and in everything that we do. Verse 1, I like this. He says, How beautiful are thy feet. How beautiful, what are you talking about? Why does he talk about her feet? Well, just apply that to the Lord's churches. How beautiful are our feet when we stand in the truth of God's Word. We refuse to be moved off of the truth. We say, this is what the Word of God says, and I plant my feet in the Word of God, and I refuse to be moved off 
of the Word of God. I think God says, how beautiful are your feet? But then he says, and I like, again, like this, how beautiful are thy feet with shoes? Now, I don't know why he said it that way, obviously. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes? Well, what's he talking about? How can we apply that for us today? How beautiful are our feet, folks, when they're shed with the gospel of peace? I was thinking about this, and I think I've been praying all wrong. So I've been praying and asking God to supply us with visitors. That's not his job. Whose job is it to get visitors in here? I love what Vance Havner said one time. He said, it's not the preacher's job to fill the church. It's the congregation's job. It's the preacher's job to fill the pulpit. Amen. I've been praying asking God to send visitors our way. I'm going to pray and ask God to put us in contact with people that we can invite. And then they will put it on their hearts after we've contacted them, after we've invited them to come and be in these services and worship God together with us. But how beautiful are thy feet with shoes when we're shed with the gospel of peace. And then I said he compares her joints to the jewels, the work of a cunning or a skilled workman. As I read that, I thought, about what is the source of unity in a church, Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, it is our love for Christ and it is that doctrinal purity that we must hold to in order to be pleasing to our Lord. Listen to what Colossians chapter 2, verse 19 says. He's talking about Jesus when he refers to the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. How are we held together? We're held together by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our love for Him, His love for us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things. By the way, he said that's the reason, one of the reasons that God has given us pastors as a church is that we may teach, and that's what we ought to do, that we may teach so that we can grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. And you say, Woo, Brother Jim, what is that? All he's saying is this. Our bodies, physical bodies, are held together by what? What about ligaments and tendons and, you know, all of these things? And he said, the teaching of the Word of God, the love for Christ, the fellowship that we have together, it holds this church body together. And we ought to grow up into that. We ought to want to grow. Another thing I told, I'm just, we're not redoing the Sunday school class, but here's another thing I told the Sunday school class this morning. One of my great concerns many times, especially about our literature in Sunday school, is that, and, and I'm not against evangelism, I want you to understand that, but we gear it toward evangelism. How many lost people have we had in a Sunday school class over the past few years? Not many. And I believe that is a great time to be used to teach God's people how to mature as children of God and then to teach the Lord's church how to be what we ought to be as a church. <clears throat> I gave them the opportunity to debate that with me if they wanted to. We didn't have any debate this morning, but I believe that's what we need to learn. And so a church is comely in Christ's eyes through the unity that comes through His love. Remember John 13, 34, 
In 35, Jesus said, you love me as I've loved you. How did he love us? He gave himself for us. He, you love me as I loved you. And he said, by that shall all men know that you're my disciples. We need more of the love of Jesus Christ. You say, don't we love each other? Yes, we do. We just need more of it, folks. And we need to show it more. And a church is comely in Christ's eyes through the communion of the fellowship, the joint working of the saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, to accomplish the will of God. And by the teachings and the actions that are according to the will and the word of God. That's how we grow strong as a church. That's how we keep from being moved away from the truth as a church. And then after the shepherd reveals his love for his bride, in verses 10 through 13, she responds and gives us the proper response to this kind of caring. And the first thing she does is she declares her commitment to him in verse 10. Think of what she says. I am my beloved's. Now this is confidence. This is not self-confidence. But it's confidence in her beloved. He loves me. I know he loves me. And I belong to him. I am his. She's saying, I'm not my own. I'm devoted to him. I want to please him. How dare any child of God have the gall to say, it's my life. And I can do what I want to do. I'll live like I want to live. I'll do what I want to do because it is my life. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. May I remind you that this church and every church, true church and every child of God is bought by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Acts 20 and 28, that price is the blood of Christ. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not my life, folks. And if you're a child of God, it's not your life to do as you want to do. It is God's life. It is Christ's life to live in and through you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that you are the temple of God? He's speaking to the church now. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This church is the temple of God. It belongs to Him. It was bought and paid for by Him. And he says, you don't abuse the church. You don't use it for your benefit. You don't use it for your glory. You don't use it for your advancement. The church is here to glorify God. Ephesians 3.21, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. We're here to glorify God, not any person. Amen. And then, one more verse. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And here's the key. I'm not going to say it's the secret because God put it in His Word and anybody can read it. But here's the key to living a truly Christian life. I am crucified with Christ. If we would ever get that, okay, <laughs> I don't know how many of God's people have gotten that yet. I'm crucified with Christ. All right? Well, what, what happens to a man when he's crucified? He dies. I'm dead to self. I don't belong to me. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. I got a different life now. 
We call it a new life. We call it a saved life. Whatever you want to call it. But he says, I live, yet not I, but what? But Christ liveth in me. How can I live as a man that's been crucified? Just let Christ live through me. Just let him live his life through me. And he goes on to say, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How many of God's people today actually live by faith? Many times we want to live as far as we can see. We want to live, and if we can figure it out, if we can work it out, Lord, I'll do it. If I can fit it into my plans, I'll serve you, I'll live for you. But otherwise, I just, I'm going to depend on me. No, the Word of God says we are to live by, now that doesn't rule out common sense. We know that. But we live trusting God day in and day out. We live by faith. This statement, I and my beloved, is a statement of triumph of relation. Her interest is in him. His interest is in her. She's going to boast. She's going to boast in his name. I'm my beloved. You see him over there? <laughs> That's my man. I belong to him. I'm his. Guess what? As a church, we can be just like this woman. She knows whom she's committed herself to, and she reckons it an honor to be identified with him. As a church, we can boast. Oh, we don't boast in, in our name, Bethel. We don't boast in our affiliations and our associations. Here's what we boast in. We boast in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that this is one of the Lord's true churches, and I believe you believe it too. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be here. But we ought to be pleased and unashamed to be called a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We can know the same thing. Paul, what did Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I know whom I believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And as a church, we can say we know who we believe. We know who we serve. We know who bought and paid for us. And we know that we are his. Just like this Shulamite woman says, I am my beloved. And then she said this, his desire is toward me. See, her desire is toward him. His desire, remember what, let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the third chapter, after Adam and Eve had sinned. And what did God say to Eve? Your desire will be toward your husband. And so she says, my desire is toward him. And then we go to Ephesians 5, and the Lord said, husbands, love your wives. Your desire ought to be toward your wife. What was the verse we used last week about finding our, our pleasure, finding our rejoicing in the wife of our youth? And so... His desire is toward me, she says. She realizes that this love is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. She loves her shepherd, and she has committed herself to him, but she knows that he loves her, and he's made the same commitment back to her. Oh, what a wonderful instruction for husbands and wives. This is the key to any successful union. We know that wives are to be in subjection to their own husbands, Ephesians chapter 5. That doesn't mean that he rules and reigns over the wife with an iron fist. That means she agrees with, helps him in, follows his spiritual leadership, especially in the home. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I mean, you get that relationship going in a home, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful relationship. We know there are different duties in the home. 
We know from Scripture that the man had the responsibility of spiritual leadership in the home. I can't say this enough. I can't say it often enough. Most of us are, I start to say most of us are grown. Well, we're grown. But most of us have children who are grown. So maybe we don't need to hear it as much, but they need to hear it. If our homes are not what they ought to be, God's going to look to the men first. Why didn't you lead your home the way you should have? And he will be looking at us first and foremost. Christ's desire, folks, is toward his churches. And I'm thankful for that. The Lord's desire is toward his churches. He desires our faithfulness. I wrote something in the bulletin today about prevarication. Now that's just a nice word for lying, okay? But we've made commitments to faithfulness. Do you realize that? It's a voluntary commitment, but we've made it. I refer in that article to a thing, a document that we have, and it's hanging out front. And some people these days don't want to, don't want to even think about it. But we have a church covenant, and one of the things that we agree to is faithfulness. Faithful support of the church with our presence, with our attendance. Faithful support in many different ways. The Lord desire. And by the way. I said it in the article, I'll say it in this. The church covenant is not divinely inspired. We understand that. But it is based on Scripture, which is divinely inspired. And Christ desires faithfulness of His churches. He desires our commitment. He wants us to be committed to Him. And with all of that, He reciprocates and He desires to bless us. I think God wants to bless this church. Well, why isn't He doing it? Sometimes... We can be the cause of God withholding His blessings. I said just a moment ago, I've been praying for God to supply visitors, and God says, Why don't you ask the people to supply visitors? <laughs> you know? Why don't you get out there and ask some people, preacher, to come to church? He wants to bless us. She desires her communion with Him in verses 11 and 12. First of all, she desires His fellowship. Look at what she says. She says, Come, my beloved. She just asked him to come to her. She wants to be alone with him. She said, let us go forth into the field. She says this, I want to spend some time alone with my beloved. Husbands and wives need time alone together. She says, let us go into the field. I don't want the interruption of the world. I want it to be the two of us without any Interruption. You know what happens, and you've heard about it, you've heard people talk about it, it happens in marriages sometimes. You've got children, and you know, when you have children, and they all want to go to different things, sometimes we get all separated. And I've heard of people giving their lives to that, and once the children grow up and leave home, all of a sudden I'm living with a stranger. I've never taken the time to get to know my wife. I've never taken the time to get to know my husband. And so suddenly I'm in this house with somebody that I'm married to that I really don't know. No, we need time together. Again, there's a reason that God put it in the law that a young man, after he got married, did not have to serve in the military for a year. He was supposed to spend time with his wife. He was supposed to be with her. It makes for a strong union. And so, again, she wants to spend time alone. 
Somebody said this, those that would converse with Christ must go forth from the world and the amusements of it, must avoid everything that would divert the mind and be a hindrance to it, and be wholly taken up with Christ. You know what part of our problem is today? And you notice I said our, not your. You know what part of our problem is today? There is so much out there to grab our time. There's so much out there to grab our attention. Most of us have a little box. Well, I don't guess it's a little box anymore. It's sort of a flat screen thing on the wall or on a stand or somewhere. And there's all kinds of entertainment and amusements on it. And you can spend a whole day sitting in front of it. And come away from it, not any the better. Right? You say you speak as one speaking with experience. I am. It's easy to get caught up. In, we used to call it the idiot box. I don't know. Is it the idiot screen today? I don't know what they call it today because it's not a box anymore. But we used to call it that. No, if, if you're going to commune with Christ, you got to get alone with Him. You've got, sp- got to spend time away from the amusements and the distraction of the world to be alone with Him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus said, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. One of the greatest things that we can do is just get alone with God. It may be a literal closet. It may not be a literal closet. I still love the movie War Room. I could watch it over and over and over and over. It shows in a real life demonstration the power of prayer. And having a place dedicated to that prayer. And that time of prayer. Our ladies are studying prayer. We're talking about drawing a circle around something. Just pray about it. You say, I don't want to bug God. Just pray about it, okay? Until God says quit praying about it, until God says no, or until God gives the answer yes, just pray about it, okay? We need time alone with God, time praying to God. We are never any less alone than when we're alone with God. People, I don't want to be alone. Just get alone with God. You won't be alone, okay? We can fellowship with Christ, but we got to do it on His terms, don't we? Part of that means a pure life. Behold, Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but what? But your sins or your iniquities have separated between you and your God so that He will not hear. It's not that God can't hear, folks. Sometimes God just says, I'm, we're out of fellowship. I hear your words, but that's as far as it's going. Need to be in fellowship with God. And then obedience to His Word, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, right? 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanseth us from all sin. A pure life, morally pure, and obedience to the Word of God. And then there's a devotion to fellowship. Look at verse 11. She says, Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. She says, Let us get up early to the vineyard. I mean, she just goes on and on and on. 
here's what she's saying. She said, I'm going to do what is necessary to be alone with my beloved. That's a wonderful attitude. I'm going to do what is necessary for the two of us to be alone with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, okay? We have fellowship one with another. The first we is talking about me and you, and the second fellowship is talking about you or me and the Lord. What is required for me to have fellowship with God? You walk in the light. God's in the light. You walk in the light. You have fellowship with Him. Follow His Word. Obey His Word. Do what He says. Spend time in prayer. Come together to worship Him. Just do what God says and we can have fellowship with God. And as children of God, we ought to be willing to do whatever is necessary to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Over in the book of Colossians, there's some things we need to put off as children of God. If we want to fellowship with God, look at chapter 3 of Colossians beginning in verse 5. Mortify therefore, that means put them to death. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Did you ever think about covetousness as being idolatry? I'm going to covet what you have Well, you just worship an idol. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. Get this list. Anger, wrath, malice. Should I stop right there for a moment or should I go on? Don't raise your hand. Anybody have a problem with anger? Anybody drive a car? <laughs> right? Road rage? Anger, wrath, malice. Blasphemy, literally stupid speech, all right? Filthy communication out of your mouth. Well, what's filthy communication? I think we know what filthy communication out of our mouth is. Had a man ask me one time, where does it say in the Bible you shouldn't curse? I had I'd forgotten about this verse. I should have pointed him to it right then. Filthy communication. Out of, there's things we just don't need to say. And then he says, lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds. There are some things we need to put off. There are some things we need to put on. Look at verse 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. All of the things of the old man, the unsaved man, we put off. All the things of Christ, the new man, we put on. And we live for Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And then she has a dedication to fellowship here. In verse 12, I said, she said, Let us get up early. It may, if we're going to fellowship with the Lord, we have, may have to make some sacrifices. Again, put off some things. The Shulamite woman's willing to get up early. Well, there's a sermon I could preach about Sunday morning right there, isn't it? Where did we ever get the idea that Sunday was for sleeping in? I know where we got it. Hollywood, television, you know, well, Sunday's just a day for sleeping in. We get up earlier on Sunday morning than we do any other day of the week. We get here to the church house an hour and a half before Sunday school. You say, that's just you, preacher. Well, it may be. But I want to be here. I want to be ready. I want to be set to share the Word of God. What she's saying is, I'm going to make opportunities for fellowship. I don't care if I have to get up early. I don't care if I have to stay up late. I'm going to fellowship with my beloved. 
And as God's people, we ought to say, I'm going to fellowship with my beloved. You know what we're told in Luke chapter 9, verse 23? Jesus said this, He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his cross, listen to this, daily and follow me. Well, you know, I, I take up my cross on Sunday because I come to listen to you, preacher. You know? <laughs> well, that's not good enough. The Lord said daily. If we really want to follow Him, we've got to take up our cross daily. Begin the day in communion with the Lord. Begin every day in communion with the Lord. End the day in communion with the Lord. When I lie down in the bed at night to go to sleep, I found a wonderful way to get to sleep. I just start praying. I start talking to God. And do you know what? In just a very short time, I'm out. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I try to continue what I was doing and continue talking to the Lord. But it's a wonderful way to end the day. Seek Him early. Seek Him diligently. Seek Him late. She's not only willing to rise early, but she wants to lodge where He lodges. She said, let us go to the lodges. She's saying, I want to be where you are. I want to be with you. It doesn't matter if it's villages, huts, cottages, in run-down, cold. I don't care where it is. I want to be where you are and fellowship with you. There's a wonderful song that we sometimes sing. I didn't mention it to Brother Rick. He didn't know I was going to refer to it. Maybe we'll sing it sometime. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And I like this one. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. I've decided I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't care what the world does. I can't help what the world does. But I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then she determines her condition in verse 12. She says, let us see if the vine flourish. What's that talking about? It speaks of a desire to be better acquainted with the state of our lives in relation to Christ. How is my relation to Christ developing? How is it flourishing? Some folks, quote unquote, get saved and they never flourish again. They see salvation as a get out of hell free card. They see salvation as some kind of escape from eternal punishment and that's all it is and once I've got that hey I don't have to do anything else I'm not doing anything else maybe it's because I'm older or maybe it's because I've learned some things folks but I've come to the point of realization that if somebody says they're saved but they have no desire to assemble together with God's people they need to check their salvation Amen. if they have no desire to read their Bible they need to check their salvation if they have no desire to pray they need to check their salvation because I'm afraid we've got a lot of people on church rolls, not just this church, but all true churches, a lot of people on church rolls who never truly accepted Christ as Savior. 
And that's why churches are in the condition they're in. That's why churches end up having problems and divisions sometimes. That's why churches end up having people who just lay out and don't ever show up because they don't know Christ as Savior. We should be concerned enough about our own lives. It's easy to want to look at somebody else's life, isn't it? We should be concerned about our own lives to see if the vine flourishes. I know it's referring to the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, the first part of that verse, the Apostle Paul told the members of that church, let a man examine himself. In fact, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, toward the end of that chapter, he said, verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know what he's saying? He said, I keep an eye on me. Folks, I don't have time to keep an eye on you. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but you, you, yeah, I am a, a younger brother. And mother said one time that if you'll just make sure that James does right, you'll have your hands full. Amen. And folks, that's true spiritually as well. If I just make sure I'm right, because I, I, like Paul said, I don't want to become a castaway after preaching to you, then go do something that destroys my witness, my testimony, my ministry. So I don't want to be a castaway. So I've got to watch me. Verses 31 and 32 in 1 Corinthians 11. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Okay? But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. He's saying, judge yourself, judge yourself, judge yourself. God will judge you, but judge yourself. Make sure you are right. Examine ourselves individually and as a church, by the way, not just individually. We need to examine ourselves as a church. Amen. Are we in the Word of God? Are we doing what God says to do? Are we the kind of church that God would have us to be? We need to examine ourselves. You realize that's what a part of the letters to the seven churches of Asia was about? The Lord was saying, examine yourself. I've examined you. Here's what's wrong. You need to take a look at it too. And so he told them what was wrong and he expected them to clean up, repent or else, he said. We need to examine ourselves individually. We need to examine ourselves as a church. And then she said, we need to, especially what she's talking about here, and I think we need to do this, especially inquire whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. What's that talking about? Are we producing fruit for the Lord? Individually and as a church, are we producing fruit for the Lord? You know what? I hate to say this, but I'm convinced that most of the Lord's churches today. See, Jesus said in John 15, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. I believe he's speaking to his church there. I don't think most of the Lord's churches glorify God today. Amen. Herein is my Father glorified if you bear much fruit. Oh, we're so happy to see, and we ought to be, but not happy with the number, happy with the event. We're so happy to see one or two or three or four come forward on profession of faith during a church year. You know, We're coming up to the end of a church year, by the way. At the end of August, I don't know how many we baptized this year. I'll come up with those numbers eventually. But coming to the end of a church, well, we, we baptized four folks this year. Well, 
Think God's glorified with that? Most churches don't glorify God because he said much fruit. You say, well, define much. I think we know what much means. Are we producing fruit? In our obedience and in our fruit production, folks, our love for the Lord is revealed. It's easy to say, I love you. It's easy to say, I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, right? Oh, how I, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. That's easy to sing. I used to tell my children when they were growing up, I said, you show your love by what you do, not by what you say. Oh, Dad, I love you. Well, prove it. The truth of our love is seen in the fruit of our lives. And this Shulamite woman says, we're going to make a check. We're going to go out into the fields. We're going to examine the fruit. She said, I know he loves me, and I love him. And I'm going to be dedicated to him, and I'm going to be devoted to him, and I am going to prove my love to my shepherd who loves me. The proper reaction to love. See, I believe everybody here loves the Lord. I believe you wouldn't be here if you didn't love the Lord. And you say, well, you know, God knows my heart. He knows I love Him. Let me ask you this. Most of us are parents. Let me ask you this. Which would be more pleasing, to hear your children say, I love you, or to see them do something to prove I love you? I think I know the answer to that. Yes, God knows our hearts. Yes, God knows we love Him. But the world needs to see us loving God today. Not just showing up in our little, I don't know what to call it, our little cloister on a, on a Sunday morning to sort of, oh, yeah, we love God, we love God. Then we go out and say, oh, well, yeah, we love God, but we're out here in the world now. We've got to fit in. No. So the world would see, you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. We love God. 